Habakkuk. Now, some of you weren't here the last week. We started a very short uh, series on the book of Habakkuk, and uh, we'll just be in this for a few weeks. But I thought it was a very apropos study with some of the things we see going on in, our, in the world and in our nation today, because some of the things were the, some of the very same things that uh, Habakkuk faced in his day and questioned in his day. Now, it's interesting, um, I, I happened to see on Facebook this week a short uh, blurb of a sermon uh, from Billy Graham back when Billy Graham was, uh, was very young, and uh, he was preaching out of the book of Habakkuk, the same passage we covered last week. And it was just a short excerpt from the uh, sermon, but I thought it was great because he basically went into this, to this section where he talks about, I don't put my trust in, in D.C., I don't put my trust in my money, I don't put my trust in this, and he, he concludes that whole section of his sermon with, I put my trust in God, that's where my trust is. And uh, I thought it was very apropos, and, uh, and I think even the, even the music today, you think of what, what Cody sang, and, uh, and, and the, the message there that we know who holds tomorrow, and, uh, and uh, then with Alyssa, the one line in her song that really stood out to me was, your perfect will in your perfect way. And that's what Habakkuk is struggling with. If you remember, as we entered the book of Habakkuk, uh, it, it started out the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And what was his struggle? Well, his struggle was that sin, wickedness, evil was going unchecked in the world at that time. And there was a spiritual decline in the nation of Israel. And it seemed like God wasn't doing anything about that. And so this was the day and age in which Habakkuk lived. There was just wickedness, evil all around. And then his own nation was in this spiritual downfall that God didn't seem to be doing anything about. Sound any familiar bells off to 2021, folks? Uh, The world around us is full of evil and wickedness on every hand. And our nation, despite the fact that we live in the greatest nation in this world, our nation is in a spiritual decline. And that's where Habakkuk found himself. And he was troubled by it because he didn't think God was doing anything. And as we looked into the passage last week, we we got to the point where God speaks to Habakkuk and says, listen, Habakkuk, I I am going to do something that is, is so outside of what your thinking is that you are going to be shocked even to hear about it. And what was God's plan? Well, God's plan was he was going to take a nation, a nation that was much more wicked than the children of Israel, the Babylonians, And he was going to allow the Babylonians to come in and to conquer Judah. That was God's plan. And Habakkuk couldn't believe what he was hearing. God's going to let this wicked, wicked people, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, come in and destroy Judah and take the people captive. And so that's where we left off last week. We left off with with Habakkuk getting this word from the Lord, and now Habakkuk has a new problem. His first problem was there's wickedness all around us, and there's spiritual decline in the nation, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. So God gives Habakkuk his answer, and now Habakkuk has a whole other problem. The problem is how could a holy God use a wicked nation to deal with the sin of Judah? So now that's Habakkuk's problem. So he still still doesn't have answers that he's looking for. He was looking for a much different answer. 
And folks, I don't know about you, but sometimes in the midst of the struggle, I'm looking for an answer that is not necessarily the answer God is giving. I'm looking for something else, and God says, I have the answer. And, but we're looking for a different answer. I don't know if you've ever heard the illustration where there was a horrible flood and, and, and in the middle of this horrible flood, a man, a man fled to the roof of his house. And he cried out to God to save him. And he was on the roof of his house. And, and a boat comes by and tells him to get in the boat. And he doesn't get in the boat. And, and then a, a helicopter comes by and they, they want to hoist him up into the helicopter. And he doesn't get in the helicopter. And it's a, obviously a joke of a story because he dies and he stands before God and he says, God, I, I don't understand. I prayed for you to save me. And God says, I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter. But see, he was looking for something else. He was looking for some miraculous way of salvation. And God sent him the answer, but it wasn't the answer he was expecting. Well, this is where Habakkuk is. Habakkuk wants the nations around Israel to be judged for their wickedness and for their evil. But he also wants the spiritual decline in his own nation to be addressed. And so God tells him how he's going to address it. And now he has a new problem. I don't like your plan, God. Your plan doesn't match my plan, God. Ever been there? <laughs> I know I've been there in life. God, your plan doesn't match my plan. Well, guess who needs to fix their plan then? It's not God. It's me. But I've been there, folks. I could share you from my testimony the plans I had for my life. Going into the Navy, going to work on a nuclear sub. Had already qualified, passed the test. But God had other plans for my life that included eventually standing here in front of you today preaching the Word of God. My plans and his plans didn't match up. And guess whose plans won? It wasn't mine. It was his. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. But Habakkuk couldn't see the answer, and so now he begins to make an argument for his case before God. And Habakkuk is going to argue from three points in this passage as we get into it uh, in, today, starting in verse 12 is where we're going to be. And so the first thing he does is Habakkuk tries to make his case based on the character of God. Based on the character of God. Habakkuk tries to come to grips with what he was hearing compared to the God that he knew. Now, it's interesting, as Habakkuk makes this argument, we get a real quick course in theology from Habakkuk. He tells us several characteristics about the God that we worship and serve, and all of them were correct. So let's look at what he has to say. Verse 12, he says, Art thou not from everlasting? So what is the first thing Habakkuk says about God? He says, God, you are everlasting. You have been here forever and you will be here forever. That's the first character trait Habakkuk gives us about God. And we can see that noted in Psalms as well. In Psalm 90, Psalm 90 in verse 1. Psalm 90 verse 1 says this. It says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever Thou hadst formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The psalmist says, listen, before everything that we see around us was even formed, 
before the mountains were put in place, before the earth was formed, before all these things, God, you were from everlasting to everlasting, and you are God. That's what, that's what he's saying here. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we get, that, we get that great passage in Isaiah. Well, let's just turn over there real quick. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, um, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, and then notice, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, folks, Isaiah recognized the fact that God was an everlasting God. But not only that, folks, notice what it says. It says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One. Habakkuk recognized that there is a personal relationship to be had with God. He refers to God as my God, my Holy One. It was personal to Habakkuk. And listen, folks, it's fine and dandy to come to church, and I believe we should do that, and we should come and worship God. But more importantly than that is, do you have a personal relationship with Him? Can you literally say, He is my God? I belong to Him. He is mine. That's what we need to be able to say. We need to have that personal relationship with God. It's personal. We can go back to, to Psalm. Uh, I, love, I love this Psalm. Psalm, eight, uh, Psalm 18. Flip over there for just a second to Psalm 18. And uh, there's some, just some beautiful thoughts in this passage uh, starting in verse 1. It says, I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Boy, did you catch how many times the word my was used there? What is God? To David, the same things he is to us today. Strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, strength again, buckler, horn of salvation, high tower. See, folks, it was personal to David. God was personal to him. He had an intimate relationship with him. And folks, we know, we know that David was not a perfect man. We know that. His sins are clearly laid out in Scripture for all to see. But David, despite his problems in his life, had a personal, in, intimate relationship with the Lord God, and it was to him, he was a personal God. Is he that way to us today? Do we have that same relationship? See, God is everlasting. God is personal. But let's read on in Habakkuk. He says, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One, we shall not die. So there, right away, Habakkuk has a little encouraging thought. We shall not die. We're not going to die with whatever's going on here. O Lord, Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. So we see three things here. After he says, my God, he says what? Mine Holy One. God is what? He's holy. 
He is holy. And we got to recognize, and it's important that, that Habakkuk recognized the holiness of God so that he recognized that God was not going to do anything that he should not do because he is holy. And we can turn over to Isaiah and probably one of the most familiar uh, passages of Scripture in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6. And we see that scene where, he, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What was it that they cried? They cried, holy, holy, holy. God is a holy God, folks. And we can turn back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 39, Ezekiel chapter 39, and uh, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Therefore thou, son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. And I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, that they shall know that I am the Lord. And then notice what he says in verse 7. So will I make my, what, holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my, what, holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. See, folks, Habakkuk recognized, number one, that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He recognized that there's a personal relationship to be had with him. He recognized that God is holy. And then I want you to notice in the last half of verse 12 there, it says, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Habakkuk here notes that God ordains and establishes circumstances in this world. In other words, folks, God is in control. God is in control. That's not always easy to understand. Habakkuk was really struggling with that fact right now. That a God who was in control was about to let his chosen people be annihilated by the Babylonians. And yet he's the God that's in control. Yet he acknowledged it. He recognized that God ordains and establishes things. Those words mean to build up, to lay a foundation, to settle to put, to set down, to constitute, or appoint. In other words, he's saying that God has the ability to establish and set in place things and circumstances in this world. Now folks, we might not always like God's answers. Habakkuk did not like the fact that the Babylonians were going to come in and annihilate Judah. He didn't like it. But God had ordained it. 
God was going to use, yes, the wicked nation of Babylon to deal with the sins of his own people. But folks, lest we get dismayed, God was also going to deal with Babylon. (laughs) Trust me. He was going to deal with them as well. But right now, the focus was on the sin of his people and correcting the sin of a nation that was in a downward spiral spiritually. So Habakkuk, excuse me, notes that God ordains and establishes circumstances in this world. And then he says this in verse 13. Kind of his last argument in this particular place, his argument pertaining to the character of God. He says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. So what does he do? He appeals to God's purity, and he says, God, you are so pure, you cannot look on iniquity or evil, and yet you're going to let a wicked nation, a nation that's more wicked than the man you're going to let them conquer, you're going to let them conquer that nation. I don't understand because you are a pure God. This was Habakkuk's struggle. And so he was arguing from the perspective of the character of God. But secondly, he argued from the perspective of the helplessness of God's people compared to the Babylonians. Let's look at what he says in verse 14. And makest them as fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle, they catch them in their net, and gather them in their drag, Therefore they rejoice and are glad. What is he saying? He says, to the Babylonians, God, we are helpless. They are going to ensnare us. They are going to catch us like fish are caught with the hook and with the net. And they're going to ensnare us and drag us in. And we are going to be captive to the Babylonians because we are helpless compared to them. Was that a true picture of the Babylonian Empire at that time? Absolutely it was. Wearsby in his commentary says this, he said, To the Babylonians, life was cheap. And prisoners of war were expendable. People were like fish to be hooked or sea creatures to be trapped. That's all the Babylonians cared about. Was their power as they crossed the world at that time. And so Habakkuk appeals to God from that perspective. He appeals to God, God, how can you allow... A, a helpless people to, to, be, to be captured and ensnared by this wicked, wicked nation. Well, folks, we have to remember that God had given His children many opportunities to repent of their sin. This was not the first time God approached the nation and said through a prophet, you need to get right with the Lord. It had gone on and on before that for 40 years. Turn back to Jeremiah. Just for a second, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, and let's look at a few verses in Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his increase, 
All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. So now here's the transition. God basically is said in these verses, you go cry out to Israel and say, I remember you when you followed after me. That's what he's saying. But now here comes the transition. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought up us up out of the land of Egypt and that led us through the wilderness, through the land of, of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine inheritance, uh, my, my heritage, excuse me, an abomination. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked, off, walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Wow. God says, my people have changed who they worship. They don't worship me any longer. They worship something that does not profit. Be astonished, verse 12, O ye heavens at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. God gave Judah... Lots of opportunities to repent. Jeremiah, 40 years of prophesying and saying to the people of Israel, you've committed an evil in the face of God. You have turned and worshipped other gods and you've hewn out cisterns. You've gone somewhere else for the living water that should come from the one true God. That's what he's saying. And so yes, Habakkuk, God was going to use a wicked nation to deal with Judah. So Habakkuk's first argument was the character of God. His second argument was the helplessness of God's people. Habakkuk's third argument was the pride of the enemy. Back into Habakkuk chapter 1. Notice in verse 16. It says, Therefore they sacrifice unto their net, and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat, and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net, and not spare continually to slay the nations. What is he saying? He says the Babylonians have placed their trust in their military might. That's what he's saying. They've put their trust in the fact that they hold a powerful military that can conquer nations. They've worshipped the gods of power and violence. Boy, folks, that sounds like today. Listen, I don't care what side of the aisle you vote for, folks. There are people that work in D.C. every day of their lives that work there not for us, the people, but they work there for the power that they can grab hold of. They love power. 
And when it works to their advantage, they love violence. They do. They thrive on it. This is the nation that Habakkuk's dealing with. But there's so many similarities to today. The love of power. The love of, of, of violence. And he, and he says to, to God, he says, they'll, they'll be filling their nets with the victims of Judah. That's basically what Habakkuk says. And was Babylon that wicked of a nation? Oh, absolutely they were. Babylon worshipped many gods. They practiced sorcery. Their priests practiced divinations and cult practices. And yet, God was going to allow them to deal with his people. In, in this struggle, like Habakkuk's struggle, we, we struggle, we must remember the words of the Apostle Paul. Turn over to Romans just for a second. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and starting in verse 33. It says, Oh, the depth and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What does Paul say? He says, listen, God's ways, his judgments, that's what we're dealing with right here is the judgment of God. He says his ways are, <coughs> excuse me, unsearchable. They are unsearchable. That's how his ways are. So we see the worrying prophet all through chapter 1. Habakkuk's concerned. He's carrying a burden. He's worried about the nation. And then we jump into chapter 2 and we see the waiting prophet. The waiting prophet. What's he waiting on? Well, he's going to tell us. He says in verse two, chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower." And will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. What, what, what does Habakkuk say? He says, I am going to become a watchman for, the, for Judah. I am going to set myself up on the tower like a watchman would do. Now, we have to understand that in Bible times, the watchman was cru crucial to the security of the city. His job was to warn the city of impending danger that was coming. A matter of fact, it was such a huge responsibility that a watchman who failed in his responsibility to warn the city, if people died at the hands of an enemy, their blood was stained onto his hands so that people would know he failed in his task as the watchman. That's how important this position is. And so, and so we see Habakkuk saying, I will stand upon my watch. He says, I have laid it out to God. I am going to now stand in guard for the city and wait and see what God has to say back to me. That's what Habakkuk is saying. He wants to know what God's response will be. What will he say unto me? 
knowing that danger was approaching. And you know, it's not so different from us today, folks. As believers, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to warn the world of the danger of sin and the salvation that comes from God. It is a responsibility that we have. And it's a responsibility that would carry almost, in my mind, the same weight of failing in my responsibility and the blood of people that I had opportunity to reach stained on my hands because I didn't reach them. God gave opportunity and I neglected the opportunity. I neglected the opportunity to tell others about Christ. I did not stand as a watchman for the nation. Listen, folks, what we need today is we need churches full of watchmen that plead with the people in our nation that they need to turn from their wickedness and turn to God. See, folks, I don't need Washington to solve the problems of this world. I don't. And they won't ever do it. I don't care who's in office. They will never solve the problems of this world because the problems of this world are only going to be solved when people repent of their sin and turn to a holy God. So what I would much rather see in this world is people turning to God by droves and repenting of their sin and worshiping the one true God. You know, Habakkuk is not the first one to feel this way about what God was doing and not understanding it. And surely he won't be the last one (laughs) that feels that way as well. You can turn back to Psalm for just a second, Psalm 73. Because in Psalm 73, we get a very similar uh, story to what we have here in Habakkuk. In Psalm 73, we have a Psalm of Asaph. And I want you to notice... The similarities here. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. So Asaph is, is saying, he states right away, God is good. But then he says, I'm stumbling because I don't understand something. What is it he doesn't understand? Notice what it says. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. There are no, not, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly, concerning oppression they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh throughout the earth. Wow, he sounds like Habakkuk. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's in there, Lord, I don't understand. The wicked are prospering. They're going throughout the earth in what? The same things the other ones were, pride and power and what? Violence, the same exact things Habakkuk said. This is how they're wandering through the earth. The wicked are wandering through the earth and they're being victorious. They're winning. I don't understand. That's how he felt. Skip down to verse 14. He says, For all the day long have I been plagued 
and chastened every morning. He says, I just don't get it. It's, it's, it's a burden to me. It's every day, day in, day out. I see the wickedness of this world prospering, and I don't get it. That's what Asaph is saying. And then he says this in verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, I don't get it, Lord. It hurts. But then notice the change in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Asaph says, I don't get it, Lord. The wicked are prospering all around. They're walking around this earth in violence and pride and arrogance, and they're successful at every turn, and it's just too much for me to bear until he goes into the house of the Lord and he recognizes their end. He recognizes their end. What did Asaph see? Look at verses 18 and 19. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. Asaph is is crying out to God and he's saying, I don't get it, I don't understand. I don't get why evil is allowed to succeed, God. And then he's given a view into the end of wickedness. And the end of wickedness is what? Ultimate destruction. See, folks, I've been noticing on my Facebook a lot lately that a lot of people are posting these little things that say Satan seems to be winning a lot of battles, but remember, it's God who wins the war. See, folks, Habakkuk, Asaph, all these characters in Scripture, they struggled with some of the same feelings that we struggle with today. The wickedness, the evil, the hypocrisy, it drives me crazy, folks. I I pretty much have had to stop watching the news. I can't deal with it because it doesn't seem right. But lest I go into despair, I have to remember God wins the war. He's on the victory side. And if we're on His side, we're on the victory side. Now we may not see it for a while, and things may get really bad before they get better. But eventually, every knee in this world will bow to an almighty God and declare that He is God. They won't bow and forth. They will declare that He is God. You think of the wickedest, most vile person. As soon as I say that, whatever image comes to your mind of the most wicked, vile person alive in this world today, when Jesus Christ returns, they will bow their knee to him and say that he's almighty God. That's what's going to happen, folks. And Asaph didn't understand it at first. Habakkuk didn't understand it. But what they had to come to the conclusion was that God is a righteous judge. See, folks, that's the key to all this. The key to all this, it's not the fact that God was going to allow the Babylonians to come in and deal with Judah. It was the fact that God, as the righteous judge, was going to judge his people for their sins. Second Chronicles has a verse, we all know it. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and, 
and what? He's going to restore their land. Where does that start, folks? It doesn't start with the wicked. See, we, we always want to get the wicked's problem solved. I've got to solve the problem of all those sinners. That's where we want to start. That's not what the Bible tells us. It says if my people, God's people, those of us that are saved, if we will turn from our wicked ways. That's what it says. And folks, we just can't ignore Scripture because we don't like it. I don't like that verse necessarily because I want the wicked to turn from their wicked ways. But you know what God says to me? He's pointing a finger right back at me and saying, you're the one that needs to turn first. You need to get from your wicked ways. And then I'll heal the land. Folks, I'm convinced that our, our land needs lots of healing right now in a lot of areas. But I'm convinced that we will see nothing positive unless God's people experience revival in their own lives. Unless we turn to God, turn from our wicked ways, and then allow God the opportunity to heal our land. Psalm 119, 137, and we're done. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Habakkuk struggled. Asaph struggled. We struggle understanding God's ways. But God is a righteous judge. Scripture tells us somewhere else that in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He's a righteous judge. And so, folks, just like Habakkuk struggled, we struggle. But we have to learn to put our trust in God. Now, listen, Habakkuk is going to learn this lesson. He is. We're not there yet. But he's going to, learn, he's going to understand that he needs to put his trust in an almighty God. But at this point, he's still struggling. Till next week. Let's have every head bow and every eye closed. As we come to the end of the message today, Folks, this message may not be for you. I, I'm telling you right now, it's for me. <laughs> because I struggle right now with the wickedness in this world, the evil that's in this world, the things we see going on even in our nation. I struggle, and it hurts. I think the things we see similar, Habakkuk, he hurt. It, he refers to it as his burden. It weighed him down. Asaph he, said, he, says, he says, you know, I've, I've basically given up. I'm about to slip. I'm about to fall because it weighs me down. It burdens me. And the things that we see going on in this world and in our nation today, folks, ought to burden us. But we need to look for our answers in the right places. And the right place is in the Lord God who is in control of everything. And will we see revival in America again? I don't know, folks. I pray we do. But I don't know, because I'm not God. Only God knows that. Whether there will be another revival in our country, I don't know. Will there be another revival anywhere in the world? I don't know. I know in some of the countries that have faced the harshest persecution for religion, there are great pockets of revival right now. The underground church in China, growing by leaps and bounds. Why don't we see that kind of growth in America? Because we haven't had the persecution that China's had. That's why. 
So I don't know, folks. But what I do know is like Habakkuk and like Asaph, I need to learn to put my trust in God. I need to go into, as Asaph said, when I went into the sanctuary of God. I understood. I could see the end of evil. And it doesn't end well. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we come to the end of the service. I don't know if the Lord spoke to your heart today. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But if you need to do business with God, you can sit right back down at your seat and pray. I'm going to ask Judy to begin to play for just a moment. The altar is open if you need to do business with God up here. We wait for just a moment today.